Well, we haven't had very many uh, child dedications recently, but Luke and Jess, Jess Schriefer are here. Uh, Luke and Jess actually live in Pennsylvania, if you're newer to North River, but they were part of North River for a handful of years, and then they went to work with Inkalink, where Luke is going to explain a little bit about that in a few minutes, but this is their home church and their sending church, in a sense, as, as missionaries. So they asked me a while back if they could dedicate uh, their little girl, Ezra. And so Ezra is here today. It's her first time at North River, which is kind of fun. Ezra means the Lord's helper. And so they are raising Ezra with that idea that uh, ministry involves all of us, and um, they hope that she will be the Lord's helper for years to come. So when, when we do a dedication, if you've not been a part of something like this, the, the practice of dedication is actually older than baptism. We read about it all the way back in the book of 1 Samuel. And Samuel's mother was a woman named Hannah. She's having a hard time getting pregnant for, for quite some time and poured her, out, her heart out to the Lord. And she pleaded with the Lord that if the Lord gave her a son, she would raise that child to follow the Lord and to listen to his voice forever. And her son became Samuel, who led the nation of Israel for 80 years, unprecedented uh, kind of leadership. And so we step back into that tradition. It's, it's also the tradition that uh, we find Jesus as a baby being dedicated by his parents, Joseph and Mary, uh, eight days after he was born. And so we are stepping back into that richness of depth. So Luke and Jess, Ezra's not going to remember this unless you tell her about it. So I have a couple of questions for you. The first is, are you willing to openly reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? We are. And is it your desire to raise Ezra in such a way that you'll listen for the Lord's voice and follow wherever he leads? It is. All right. This is wonderful. Let's see if Ezra will let me hold her, and we can do it either way. Ezra, will you let Pastor Paul hold you? That's okay, buddy. I'd say no, too, but I'm just going to put my hand on you if that's okay, sweetheart. Okay. Father God, we, we dedicate Luke and Jess and Ezra to you, Luke and Jess as parents, and we ask that you will be involved in the way that they, they raise her and teach her about you and that they will discover the love of Jesus through her parents. But we also ask that you will bless Ezra's life and that you'll begin to call on her from her earliest days and that she will come to know you and trust you Listen for your voice and your leadership and the way that you direct her life. And we ask that you will bless her richly. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sweetheart. Welcome. Welcome to North River. Thank you. Can you say hi to everybody? Thank you. Okay. So while we have these guys here, we're going to do a little bit of an interview. Luke hasn't been back for a while and Jess hasn't been back for a while. Tell us what you're doing and what your new role is with Anchorlink. Yeah, so first, uh, there's a lot of new faces out there, so I just uh, want to share how important North River is to us. We were newly weds when we came here, uh, and we spent five years of our life being poured in uh, by a lot of the faces here, um, a lot of uh, great men and women and couples who cared for us, loved, loved us really well, and then sent us out really well. Sorry. Every time I come here, you guys get me. So, um, yeah. It's always good to come home, you know? Yeah. Um, and so five, five years ago now, a little over five years ago, you guys sent us out as missionaries with Inkalink International. Uh, Inkalink, we exist to reach the 300 million youth of Latin America with Christ's irresistible love. So that's every child in Latin America. We want them to know um, intimately the love of their Savior 
to be discipled, to make disciples, to make disciples. So we were missionaries with them, and then a few years ago, Inca Link uh, asked us to become directors of ministry development, and then most recently they've asked us to move into a new role. So now we're directors of operations, which in sort of church lingo is like an executive pastor type role. We helped make sure that all the behind the scenes stuff that allow our field workers to have fruitful ministry and success uh, takes place so that the focus on the field can be reaching the 300 million youth of Latin America. That's great. Okay. <laughs> so you guys have kind of experienced this from the ground up. I, yeah. I remember when you started, Peru was the main focus. Yep. And there were a bunch of us that went to Peru on mission trips, and, and I remember seeing you there. And, and so now, having had that experience and seeing Inkalink spread to other countries, now you're in the organizational leadership of how this happens and resourcing the staff. Yeah, it's a little uh, intimidating, a little crazy. Uh, you know, I was a woodshop teacher in Kingston, and uh, Jessica was studying to be a mental health therapist at Bridgewater and was a paraprofessional, and now uh, we have some pretty serious responsibility in organizational leadership. But the Lord, uh, he calls you and then he equips you. And so he's been doing that over the last few years. I'm um, halfway through seminary in a, with a master's program in intercultural studies with an emphasis on cross-cultural church planting. So that's been super beneficial and um, just a lot of opportunities to help uh, the field and the leaders there to see projects and to see those things come to fruition. Um, and then even in this weird COVID season, the Lord has blessed Inkalink. A lot of nonprofits and churches have struggled, but we've actually planted six new ministries and opened two new countries in the, in the, midst, in the midst of this pandemic. Wow, that's great. So tell us, which countries is Inca Link involved in now? Peru is first, and then I think it was Ecuador yeah. was right after that, and where else is it You're gone? good, yeah. So Peru is where you guys have had the most contact with. I think three teams of people have come down from North River, then Ecuador, then we were in Colombia for quite a few years, and then most recently we've opened up Costa Rica, Honduras. Uh, in 2019, we opened up Guatemala, and we just opened up a site in Mexico right across the San Diego border in Tijuana, where we're working to rescue uh, kids out of the sex trafficking industry. That's fantastic. That's great. Yeah. Where are you finding that your gifts are being used most effectively? Yeah, so it's, it's crazy how the Lord uses things you would never really expect in, in unique ways, right? So as a woodshop teacher, I always were doing projects. And, you know, you see the table, and here are the 55, 80 steps to make that table happen. Well, that's the same thing in my, in my leadership right now is we see the project, we see the need. Okay, here's the big picture. Here's the 85 steps to get there. Um, and so as Inkalink has been rapidly growing on the field, uh, we're putting a lot of energy into building that support structure so that the ministry doesn't just last five years, but last generations. And then we see the whole uh, continent of, of North and South America impacted for the kingdom. That's great. So Silver Lake High School trained you well. Silver Lake <laughs> High School trained me well. I think a lot of patience with those high schoolers trained me well. Um, the church here trained me well. I learned a lot about what it means to, to be discipled and how to do discipleship uh, through the leadership team here, through ministries like GuyWire, through our small groups that were, you know, meeting in your basement and, you know, all those different pieces that have equipped us really well um, for successful ministry, I think. That's great. Luke, if people here will pray for you guys, and if there's one thing that perhaps is most important in your heart, what would you want people to pray about when they think about you and Jess and Ezra? Um, 
for us specifically, um, you know, I think there's a lot of tension uh, in, in ministry and the energy that you put into that and family and balancing those two things out and having family in ministry but not viewing your family as ministry, if okay. that makes sense, right? So the and balance. Balance, yeah. yeah. What does that look like and how do we, how do, we do that well? Um, I'm on the road a lot and so that leaves Jess and Ezra uh, at home a lot and so how do we just care for each other well? How do we love each other well? How do we disciple Ezra? I mean, she's our first responsibility now. I mean, the 300 million youth are awesome, but God's given us one to disciple. Um, And so how do we disciple her well as a two-year-old until she's, you know, making her own disciples? That's great. Let me pray for you right now. Father, we pray for Luke and Jess and Ezra, and we ask that you continue to, to bless their work. Thank you for giving them both a huge heart for Latin American youth, and I pray that you will continue to make Luke and Jess both tremendously effective. Thank you for the way that they've been able to view this ministry from the ground up at every level in in training young adults, in uh, doing hands-on projects, in equipping staff. And we ask that you will continue to, to bless them, inspire them, give them the energy that they need and the balance that they need as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Welcome home, buddy. Thank you. It's good to be here. Luke and Jess will be out in the lobby after the service if you want to talk with them and learn a little bit more about their ministry, but uh, we're glad they're here. All right, we're going to continue on this morning in the series that we've been in uh, all month, or since really most of February as well. We're talking about people in the Bible who were rather ordinary people yet had an extraordinary impact because when the Lord gets in the equation, things begin to change. And so this morning, we're looking at a very interesting character, a woman named Deborah. Um, I find it interesting as we go through this series, each week I'm, I'm focusing in on one particular person. I feel like I'm kind of living with that person for a week in, in my head. So this is the end of my week of living with Deborah. And uh, I think Sue understands all that. I get a little bit crazy and, and just thinking deeply and, and walking with each of these people. But the scripture passage we're going to look at is Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. There are two chapters in the Bible that deal with Deborah, Judges 4 and chapter 5. Chapter 4 deals with the history of what happened in her life and the impact. Chapter 5 contains a poem that Deborah wrote that kind of summarized the great victory that the people of Israel had under her leadership. Judges 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hezor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots filled with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go 
take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Let's stop and pray for a moment. Lord God, we know that you are the God of all history and the God of the Scriptures. And we ask that this morning that you will speak to us through the leadership lessons we find in the life of Deborah and in the ministry of Deborah. Thank you that your word is timeless and that there are nuggets of truth from, from all parts of the Bible that at times speak to us and guide us. Continually we are seeking your wisdom to figure out how it is that we go through life and how it is that we make the most of our days and the most of our gifts and talents that you've given us. We plead with your help. We plead with you to direct our lives step by step as we raise children, as we meet neighbors, as we go to work, as we do whatever it is that you've put before us. Give us influence with people. Influence in the, in the way that we live out our faith. Influence through the way that we love other people. Influence through the way that we love our own families. We ask that you will continue to guide us as a church as we seek to fulfill our mission that you have given us and I, we ask also that you would guide us as a people in terms of what our responsibility is in the midst of this world and, and how we live out our faith in a, in a broader context. Lord, we ask that you would be at work in this world, and we confess we don't control you and we don't understand all your ways. We don't, we don't see things from as a broad a perspective as you have, but you call us to reach out to you in prayer and to ask you to be at work in our world. Whatever your plan is, we ask that you would be at work right now in, in Ukraine and in Eastern Europe. We, we ask that you would uh, restrain evil and that you would bring some sense out of all of this mess that we're reading about and hearing about and watching every day. We pray that you would protect your people, that you would give them courage. And we pray for not just peace in terms of the absence of war, but peace in the sense of the well-being of trusting God and and, and working with you day in and day out and inviting you into our lives all over the world. So, Lord, we ask that you would use our prayers and through them that when our prayers align with your will, that your will would be unleashed in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, if you were listening, we heard one of the most memorable leadership quotes of recent years when U.S. envoys approached Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky with an offer to help him escape in order to set up a government in absentia as Russia began to bomb Ukraine. Zelensky responded to this offer with these memorable words, The battle is here. I need ammo, not a ride. Now, what's behind a comment like that? That got my attention immediately. I thought, wow, this person understands what leadership is about. What's behind a comment like that? 
It is evidence of a leader's commitment to stand with his people in the midst of an horrific attack rather than to choose personal preservation. It is evidence of a leader who knows his place despite all the fog of war. I bring up that quote to you this morning because there is an amazing parallel between the courageous leadership that we see from Zelensky and an unusual Old Testament leader that we find in Judges chapter 4. Her name is Deborah. I believe that there are some valuable lessons for us to consider and to learn from with the account of Deborah. Her story is another of these ordinary to extraordinary moments in the Bible. Four weeks ago, we began looking at ordinary people in the Bible who had an extraordinary impact on those around them. Some of the feedback that both Christy Peck and I have received tells us that some of you have been surprised and inspired by this focus on biblical people who were surprising or even unexpected leaders. So today, we're going to look at a fifth person in this series, Deborah, who was sought out for wisdom. So the title of this message is Sought for Wisdom. Welcome to North River Church today. I'm glad that you are here. I love our church family. And we have discovered some, a few things about the North River Church family over the last 24 months. We are resilient. We are adaptable. We've been learning to care for each other in new ways. We've been a welcoming congregation as there are so many people who are new to North River since the beginning of the pandemic. That's one of the most wonderful surprises of this whole time. And we are unswervingly reliant on the power of God, the love of Jesus, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. I think this has been one of the overwhelming realities of these past 24 months. Let me send out a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. You're very much a part of this North River Fellowship. Some of you are exploring North River for the first time online, so welcome. You found our new front door, and we're glad that you have. Some of you are watching later today because of Sunday morning conflicts. Some would like to be here at our Pembroke campus, but for health reasons, it's still safer for you to watch from home. And some of you are North River members who have moved to other states across the country, and yet you continue to worship with us this way. I want to welcome all of you. We are one North River church together. My hope is that regardless of how you experience this service today, that you will keep taking next steps in following Jesus more closely and in making our church stronger and more effective in our mission. Our mission involves helping people who are far from God become fully developed servants and worshipers of Christ. Very simply, I believe that God is at work making us more and more like Jesus. That has always been his goal, and it is in the midst of this time too. So this morning is part five of our Ordinary People, Extraordinary Impact series, and this message is about Deborah who was sought out for her wisdom. I have a question at the beginning of this message, though. Why do we bother with Old Testament Scripture lessons today? I know some Christians who virtually bag the Old Testament and say, oh, wait a minute, it's the New Testament that talks about Jesus. Shouldn't all of our focus be there? Well, let me quote for you one verse that's in the New Testament that talks about the Old Testament. Romans 15:4 the apostle Paul wrote for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide we might have hope so you get what Paul is saying the old testament scriptures and the lessons contained in them are designed for us today they were written for us so that we might find greater endurance 
and encouragement, and through the endurance and encouragement that comes from applying the Scriptures to our lives, we find hope. So let's dive into this lesson on the life of Deborah. Deborah was sought for wisdom, and I'd like to point out some lessons from a mom who answered the call. First, we discover that God raises up leaders in answer to prayer. Let me start with verses 1, 2, and 3. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was on the move. We jump down to verse 3. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. To say that Israel was in a leadership crisis is, is putting things mildly at this point in the judges' period. Verse 1 introduces us to the recurring pattern that we find in the book of Judges. The previous judge, Ehud, had died and the people reverted to their old pattern. They moved away from the Ten Commandments and the basic moral values that the people of Israel had been taught. And it says they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. When the people of Israel turned away from the Lord, they were in turn harassed by their enemies because the Lord stopped protecting them at that point. In this case, it says that they were treated cruelly by Sisera, who was the commander of Canaan's army for 20 years. Think of this. We're already tired about what we've been reading about and watching over the past two and a half weeks. But Israel had been treated cruelly and mercilessly by the people of Canaan for 20 years in this pattern. And so for, after 20 years, the people of Israel finally began to turn toward the Lord. Now, I don't think that there was nobody in Israel that prayed to the Lord for 20 years, but there's something about the people coming together and with a large voice, with a united voice, they were calling on God for help. Can you imagine what 20 years of oppression must have looked like and felt like? And as the people began to cry out to the Lord, the nation starts to turn its heart back toward the Lord. You might wonder, what, what took them so long? Well, I was thinking about that earlier this week, and I wondered, you know, why did it take a 9-11 to turn so many people in North America back toward the Lord? And yet, yet it seemed like just as quickly so many people went right back to their old habits after we had passed that crisis for a few months. Human nature just seems to have this gravitational pull toward assuming that peace comes easy and that God always provides everything that we want regardless of how we respond to Him. What we have in focus here is that the Lord responded to their prayers by sending Deborah. Deborah became the fourth judge who is talked about in this book of the judges. It's before the time of the kings of Israel. And God raised her up to lead Israel in those days. We know a handful of details about her from this chapter. She was married. She was a prophet. We actually discover that she was a mother a little bit later. Uh, she was leading Israel at this, at this time as the singular judge over the nation. People throughout Israel brought their disputes to her, and she held court resolving dispute after dispute, problem after problem. The final statement that's written about her in Judges chapter 5, verse 31 says that then the land had peace for 40 years. 
This means that of, out of all of the judges, there were 12 of them through this period of time, she was the most effective judge and leader of Israel during that 300-year period of time. This is amazing. Now, there's a long debate about how leaders rise up and develop. The question is, are leaders simply gifted and called supernaturally to the Lord? In other words, it's just there from the beginning? Or are leaders developed and taught through training? I suggest to you that a binary choice between the two is not really necessary. Sometimes the Lord raises up people who are uniquely gifted, like Deborah, and at other times He raises people up through rigorous training, such as Elisha, who we looked at last week, who, who learned as Elijah's assistant and then became his successor. This leads to two logical responses from us. First, it is always logical for us to pray for our current and future leaders and to pray for more leaders in our world, in our churches, in our state, internationally. But second, we are wise to take advantage of training that makes leaders more effective. With that in mind, uh, my wife Sue and I attended the mid-year event for the Global Leadership Summit out in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago. The GLS is the acronym they use for Global Leadership Summit. The GLS 2022 will take place on August 4th and 5th this summer. The GLS has value for all kinds of people. It invigorates people at all stages of life with tools for building confidence, strengthening communication, overcoming fears, and approaching a, a post-COVID world. That is going to be the major theme of this year's GLS in August. Approaching a, a, a post-COVID world. The theme is voice your vision. Now is the time to move forward with vision. The GLS supports North River's mission by bringing this kind of training to our local community. It, it's for church people. It's for business leaders, all kinds of folks. And we will be hosting the GLS again this year. I think this is our ninth year of doing this here at North River. Okay, the cost is $139 through the end of March. It's actually March 31st. That was my mistake. I gave Amy the date of March 27th. If you sign up online on the North River website, you can get that price. It goes up about $20 after that. So there are special rates for students, for teachers, for active military people, for first responders. If you can only come one day and you can't attend both, there's a seven-day replay where they'll give you a code for that and you can watch it online. But I'm inviting you and urging you to take part, in part because I think that this year's focus is probably most relevant and most pivotal for all the summits that they've had over the last 25 years. In fact, I want to go further. I want to invite you not only to attend, I would like to challenge you to think and pray about a friend who would benefit from this and invite a friend and bring them with you. It's, it's going to be that important. Some of the speakers are Bob Iger, who's the CEO of Disney, uh, Craig Rochelle, who's the lead pastor who's going to be leading this whole thing. I've forgotten her name, but the woman who is the president, and I think her mom was the founder of In-N-Out Burgers. So if you ever travel to the West Coast and you had an In-N-Out Burger, she's going to talk about why that's so successful. But all of these speakers are going to be looking at how is it that we learn the lessons from the past two years that we've been in and we think about how we lead our way forward into a very changed world? And that was part of what they presented to us in this uh, mid-year um, run-through and kind of a foretaste of what the summit will be. If you want to register, you can go to northriverchurch.org forward slash events and it'll, it'll walk you through all of that. Love to have you attend. So here's the first point. God raises up leaders in response to prayer. 
And Deborah is one of those leaders that arises in that moment. Here's the second lesson we learned from this mom who answered the call. Wise leaders are sought out for their wisdom. We gravitate toward people who exude wisdom in practical ways. Verse 5, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. This is a rather simple observation. People from all around Israel sought out Deborah. It is suggested that the palm tree is a symbol of authority. Deborah's authority didn't come from a school or a degree, but rather from the fact that the Lord spoke through her and gave her wisdom in deciding problems and helping guide people. Much like Moses, people sought out her wisdom with their tough decisions. How did this happen? It's likely that a few friends and neighbors figured out that here's a wise person that we can trust, and soon the word spread, and people would come to a rather remote place. The place where she ministers between Ramah and Bethel is in the hill country in the north of Israel. She wasn't in a major city or some place that was easy to get to. But here's the observation. When people show this rare kind of wisdom, others will find their ways to people because it is uncommon to find people who have that kind of discernment and that kind of leadership. This principle is timeless. People flock to those who have God's wisdom. So we saw that pattern with Moses. And then we saw that people from other nations came to hear the decisions of Solomon in later years. One of the reasons I've decided years ago to attend every global leadership summit, and I've done that for more than 25 years, is that this conference places me in the hearing of some of the wisest spiritual and business leaders in the world every year. And I find that in my role as senior pastor here at North River, I need to gain more wisdom than I naturally have. And to do that, I have to get around people who have a greater wisdom than I have in order to fulfill my role. So my question for you is, where and when are you plugging into wise leaders? This is a great opportunity. Here's the big idea for this morning. Leaders are ordinary people who rise to the challenge when God calls them to act in faith. Leaders aren't supernatural people. They're, they're not going to be in, in the supernatural movies that we're watching today of all of the, the heroes from the cartoon era. They are ordinary people who hear a call from God and they step forward in faith that God will give them the strength, the wisdom, the courage that they need along the way. And that's where they find it, in the process of acting by faith. Third lesson from Deborah. Godly leaders trust the Lord's instructions. Jump down to verse 6. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun, two of the tribes of Israel, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, this is the enemy army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak turns and he says to Deborah, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Here's the turning point of Deborah's leadership. After Deborah had been leading for some time, the Lord sent a message of rescue in answer to the people's prayers. Remember, Deborah was a prophet. The Lord has been speaking to her for years. This new message involves Barak, a warrior from northern Israel. 
Her message tells Barak to gather 10,000 men from two of these northern tribes and to go up against the army of Sisera. Not only had Sisera been uh, harassing Israel for 20 years and they hadn't been able to stop him, he had amassed 900 chariots that were equipped with iron wheels, iron covered wheels. So think of this, what, what are chariots in our day? This is the modern day tank crew when they were the first to have that kind of uh, mobile army and they were terrorizing Israel. People were afraid of their army because of their equipment but even more because of their chariots. The Lord's promise was that he was deliver Sisera and his army into the hands of the Israelite army. So Barak, this newly appointed commander of Israel's army, receives the message, agrees to fight, but he has one huge caveat. He tells Deborah that if she will go with him into battle, he will go. But if she will not go into battle with him, he will not go. Can you imagine one of our generals saying something like that today? I mean, people would laugh them right out of existence. So what was going on here? Was this a lack of courage? John Wayne once said that courage is being afraid but saddling up your horse anyway. Now this may not be a lack of courage because Barak is willing to go. He's willing to take on this battle. Perhaps even more it seems to be a lack of faith. Deborah is a prophet and the Lord has spoken through her, but he's having questions. How can I trust that this is really the Lord's leading? Is this enough for me to call 10,000 men to put their lives on the line and to go into battle? Do I trust this word of the Lord through Deborah? Barak needed extra assurance that the Lord was truly speaking. He's not judged and he's not rebuked for this stance, but Deborah announces two things. First, she says, right away, she will go with him. She absolutely knows that the Lord has given this command and the Lord is in it. And she seems to jump at the chance. She is so full of faith. But then she announces that the glory will not go to Barak as the commander of the, of the armies because of the way he's going about this. And the glory instead for defeating Sisera will go to a woman. And she's not saying this about herself. It's going to be somebody else. If this is accurate, Barak's faith dilemma was due to Deborah being a woman. He was in effect saying to De Deborah, do you really believe this is from God? You're the first female leader that we've had in our country. Can I trust that God is speaking through you? She never wavers and immediately accepts Barak's proposal. There are some pastors in interpreting this chapter who insist that Deborah was only appointed as a judge because there were no suitable or willing men around to lead. There's a huge problem with that approach, though. I think it's worth mentioning because it's properly taught that way. The Bible itself never gives any hint of that. It doesn't say it directly. It doesn't drop hints or clues of that kind of teaching. This is the difference between what we call exegesis and eisegesis. All right, technical terms, why am, I, why am I doing that? Exegesis is the process of deriving meaning from the text and pulling the principles out of the text and laying them out. This is what I do for you week by week by week. It's why I show you the dirty work and show you the verses that are behind every point that I make. Eisegesis is a different prospect. It's where we read into the text our own values and place them within the Scripture. So, I believe that when people make assumptions that the Bible doesn't 
give proof for. That is an example of eisegesis, of reading a bias into the text. But when we look at this passage, we find a woman that God has appointed in an unusual way. She's not the only one, but she's an unusual woman because she's leading the entire country. So here is what we can see from the biblical text. Deborah completely trusted the Lord's instructions, and Barak hesitated before committing, and it had something to do with his faith in Deborah as a prophet. Fourth, we've looked at how God raises up leaders in response to prayer, so we should continue praying for leaders. We saw that wise leaders are sought out for wisdom and that godly leaders trust the Lord's instructions. Here's the fourth lesson from Deborah. Wise leaders trust God to win our battles. Wise leaders trust God to win our greatest battles. Verse 14, beyond what we read before. They've gotten to the point where God has brought them up into the hills and Barak has assembled this army of 10,000 men and Sisera hears that the Israelite army has gathered in the hills and he comes into the valley of the, the Kishon River and at that moment Deborah calls out. Then Deborah said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tamor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. This is an amazing scene. Look at the process that takes place. Sisera hears that Barak has gathered this army of 10,000 men. The Lord said that he would lure Sisera and his army into this battle. Sisera's men have a huge advantage, many more soldiers, these 900 chariots fitted with steel, and, and Deborah gives the call. She tells Barak, go, this is the day, this is the moment, and he heads into battle. Barak and Israel's army so thoroughly routes Sisera and the Canaanite army that he climbs off his chariot and begins to run away on foot. But there's another clue to how the Lord showed up for Israel that is buried in the next chapter, in chapter 5, which includes the Song of Deborah, which is a poem or a song that was written about this great uh, victory. It explains a detail that's missing in chapter 4. Here's the clue. In verse 4 of chapter 5 it says, When you, Lord, went out from Seir, you, when you marched from the land of Eden, the earth shook, the heavens poured down water. What is this telling us? The Lord sent a flash flood that got Sisera's chariots stuck in the mud. With the chariots no longer providing this great advantage and being stuck in the open place down in the valley by the river, Israel's soldiers now took the advantage and they won the day. This is why Sisera abandoned his chariot. It would have been much faster for him to flee with the chariot and a horse pulling it. But with his chariot stuck in the mud due to this flash flood, it was no good. And he jumped off and ran for his life while his men were dying. Some hero, huh? His men are there fighting it out and he runs. When the Lord fights our battles, we begin to see his hand turning the tides. Just as the Lord had enabled Gideon's victory that we saw a few weeks ago when he faced uh, over 100,000 Midianites with only 300 men, he now renders the chariots, which everyone had been afraid of, as ineffective, stuck in the mud. 
King David wrote about this in Psalm 20. He said, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. One of the reasons why this account of Deborah was recorded in Scripture is so that we will take heart and remember that the Lord can turn our battles around too. Here, all it took was for him to shake the skies with a sudden storm that swept in and a flash flood that all of a sudden changed the landscape of the Kishon River Valley. And Sisera, who had been feared for 20 years with his 900 chariots, found that those chariots were dead weight that left the army stranded in the open. And then one final lesson from Deborah. Wise leaders give credit where it is due. Jump back to verse 9. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. How fitting this is. Barak refused to trust Deborah's word initially as being from the Lord, it seems to be because she was a woman. So Deborah tells him that the honor for the victory that delivers Israel from 20 years of brutal oppression would go to a woman. When Sisera left that chariot and fled on foot, he came to the tent, to the tent of a woman named Jael. And she and her husband were from another tribal group, but that tribal group was related to Moses. And they looked at the people Israel favorably. They, their tent was on a place that was on the escape route from that battle. And so Sisera ran into her tent and begged her to hide him, and she hid him under blankets of the tent. He asked her for some water, and she gave him more milk to drink, and he soon fell asleep underneath all those blankets. He had asked her to lie if anybody came looking for her, saying that she hadn't seen him. But she didn't wait long. She knew that this man was a brutal oppressor, and he'd literally killed thousands of people in Israel. And when he fell asleep, this woman who was part of a nomadic existence, had moved their tents from place to place and was well experienced at pounding tent pegs into the ground. She grabbed one of those tent pegs and drove it through Sisera's head and pinned him to the ground dead. Here's part of the lesson that's driven home for us. God will use whoever is listening and whose hearts are open to lead his people to victory, to protect the faithful and to deliver, to deliver from oppression. A male commander still led his troops but the command was given by a wife and mother who was called by and spoke for God. And the decisive blow that ended the battle was delivered by a tent-dwelling wife and mother from a nomadic tribe who had a lot of practice in driving in tent pegs. And that was the skill that God used to end 20 years of brutal oppression. Here's the point. Leaders are ordinary people who rise to the challenge when God calls them to act in faith. And there are moments when God will call each and every one of us to act in faith and to do something that seems far beyond what we were raised for and trained for, if we're listening, if we're responding. And it doesn't matter to God what our gender is. It's the condition of the heart that He's looking for. It's the faith to respond when He challenges us. And I hope that's who we are becoming person by person and throughout our congregation. I wonder if you would close this time with me by praying a short prayer that, that I, I wrote, and uh, it's going to appear behind me, but it's also in the notes if you grab those this morning. Let's do this out loud together. Lord, fill us with wisdom in the same way that you gave wisdom to Deborah so long ago. 
Give us the courage to rise to answer the call whenever you ask us to respond in faith. Strengthen those who are resisting evil and who are standing in faith throughout this world. We ask through your Son, Jesus. Amen. Join us for a final song here this morning, and I hope that uh, you will continue to look deeply into these Old Testament characters, and as we get to some New Testament characters, too, in the next few weeks, ordinary people who have extraordinary impact when God enters the equation.